if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. It's interesting, the Christmas story, for the most part, is recorded in two of our gospels. It's recorded in the gospel of Matthew, and then from a slightly different perspective, recorded in the gospel of Luke. Uh, when you just take a step back, it seems that Matthew uh, approaches the Christmas story primarily from the perspective of Joseph. And we see something of the story of Joseph, the angel visiting Joseph. When we look at the, at the, at the book of Luke, we see the Christmas story primarily from the perspective of Mary. We see the angel visiting with Mary. But as we look at these two together, it gives us this stereoscopic view of, of the nativity. It, it, it shows us something of the birth of Christ that we can celebrate, and I want us to do that today. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, that would have been a shocker, right? And we're gonna see in the next verse in a moment or two that that was just too much for Joseph to believe. But before we get that far, what in the world does it mean that Mary was pregnant uh, from this encounter with the Holy Spirit? Well, now let's shift over to the Gospel of Luke, and we'll show these verses to you on the screen, or you can turn there either one, and let's see the further explanation of what this means. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 says, now listen, these are the words of Gabriel, by the way, the angel who has come to visit Mary. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? She is very pointed. There's no confusion there in that in that description, in that question that she asks. But then the angel is going to explain this great mystery. Verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So there's the explanation from the angel to Mary of what it means that that. She, that there is going to be a virgin birth. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter one and just pick up where we left off. Verse 19 says, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So it says that they were engaged, that they were betrothed. In those days, an engagement was a legally binding contract. And so though they weren't married, in order for them to separate would have required a divorce. Now Joseph didn't believe this strange story about, about Mary being pregnant but not having been with the man. This had never happened before. He didn't believe it, you wouldn't have believed it. And so he decides he's just going to divorce her but he's gonna do so quietly, privately. Verse 20, but after he had considered these things, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so this angel confirms the story that she had told him, the story that she had received from the angel that visited her. And so now everything, everything has changed. Look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Two things I want you to notice there before we continue to read. First of all, when we call this a virgin birth, uh, that's the language that we use, that we often use, that we traditionally have used, but that's probably not the best way to explain this. The miracle was not in the birth of Jesus. The miracle was with the conception of Jesus, right? It wasn't a virgin birth. It was a virgin conception. Jesus was born like every other child is born. It was a vaginal birth, not, not, not anything uh, uh, supernatural. The miracle here was in the conception of Jesus. Now, you might say, does that really matter? Well, yes and no. I, I was reading this week, uh, Dr. James Leo Garrett, some of you, um, may know him or not know him. One of the leading theologians in America today is a member of our church, and he's not here today. He's watching online. Uh, he is in an assisted living facility. But I, I, I looked to see what he had to say about this in his systematic theology books, and here's his quote. The miracle lay in the manner of conception, not in the manner of birth. So it wasn't so much a virgin birth as it was a virgin conception. Now, why does that, why would we even take time to point that out? Well, because there's so much false teaching that accompanies the stories of the birth of Christ. Uh, some people teach that, that Mary was sinless, that she never committed a sin, which really messes up what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 5. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Some people have suggested that Mary uh, remained a virgin all of her life. That too contradicts some things that we find in Scripture. Some people teach that Jesus was born through some sort of divine C-section, uh, that Jesus just passed through the walls of, of, of Mary's body and that it was this uh, miraculous C-section. Now, here's the problem with that. We need to be careful that we believe everything the Bible teaches and we need to be careful that we don't add anything to what the Bible teaches. Those kind of things are not anywhere in the Bible. In fact, they come from something called the Proto-Evangelium of James. The Gospel of James, which is not a part of the Bible. It was not something embraced by the disciples, the apostles, or the very early church. It was a second century Gnostic writing. And it gave the seeds of these crazy beliefs. We need to be careful to specifically hold to exactly what the Bible says no more and no less. And so we call this the virgin birth. I'll continue to use that phrase as we go through this. But really... It's a, a virgin conception. Now, notice back in verse 21. Let, notice those last words. She'll, she'll bear a son, and she is to call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus was a very popular name for young boys in that time. In fact, in, in the whole history of, uh, of Israel, uh, in that history, from that point backwards, 
It was a very, very popular name. You may not know this, but the name Joshua that we find in our Old Testament, there's a book of Joshua written by Joshua, the great hero of the faith that brought the Israelites into the promised land. Did you know that Joshua and Jesus are the same names with the same spelling and the same pronunciation in the Hebrew? And there were many people named Jesus. Now, in our modern Bibles, we use a different spelling and a different pronunciation to keep there from being confusion. Uh, but Jesus was a very common name. Many people in the Bible and just people in culture held that name. I'm going to name my son Jesus. Now, the word Jesus meant Savior. And they named their children, they named their sons Jesus because they were looking forward to the day that the Father would send a Messiah, that the Father would send a Savior to save the people from their enemies, to save the people from these pagan countries that brought pressure and brought, brought violence to the nation of Israel. They were looking for the next King David. They were looking for someone who would come and rescue the people from Rome in this situation. But notice what it says here. You will call his name Jesus. He will be the savior, but he will save the people from what? Because he will save the people from their sins. See, we see even here in the very announcement of Christ that God has a purpose and the purpose is a wonderful purpose. The purpose, a great purpose to save us from our sins. That's the kind of savior that Jesus had come to be. Look at verse 22. It says, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And he's going to quote a verse. Isaiah uh, chapter 7 verse 9 is quoted here. He says, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel. Now that might confuse you because just two verses earlier it says his name will be Jesus. Now his name will be Emmanuel. Uh, what's with that? Well, Jesus, which means Savior, tells us what he came to do. He came to save us from our sins. Emmanuel, which means God with us, tells us who Jesus is. So what did he come to do? Jesus. He came to save us. Who is he? Emmanuel, God with us. And then he translates uh, the... The writer gives us a translation of Emmanuel there at the end of verse 23, which is translated, God is with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord, as the Lord's angel had commanded him and he married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. So there was a virgin birth, or at least a virgin conception. And I want to take some time and, and learn why that's such a big deal this morning. But first, is it a big deal? Should we take uh, the time that we have and talk about something that, that, that seems so odd, that so many people, by the way, reject? Is it important that Jesus was born of a virgin? Well, I thought I would quote for you today a couple of theologians from Texas you know, when I was in Ohio for 12 years, I could never quote theologians from Ohio because there hadn't been any. But I can quote Texas theologians. John Wolverd, uh, who may be the most uh, famous theologian to come out of Dallas Theological Seminary, he said this, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends. This is it. 
It's all built on this, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And then let me quote from another uh, famous Texas theologian, John R. Rice, uh, the most noted theologian from Dallas Baptist University. He says, all Christianity stands or falls with the doctrine of the virgin birth. If Jesus had a human father, then the Bible is not true. This is an important doctrine. We need to know what the Bible says when it talks about the virgin birth or the virgin conception and why that is important. So let me give you four reasons uh, to, uh, to, to pay special attention to this that we find here in this text. First of all, the virgin birth is important because it is in the Bible. Uh, now that seems too obvious to be helpful, uh, but it's important. The Bible clearly establishes the fact of the virgin conception here in Matthew chapter one and also in Luke chapter one, there's no question uh, that it says specifically and repeatedly that Jesus was born of a virgin. So to, to deny that is to deny the very veracity of God's word. To deny that is to deny the, the, the basis of the story of Christ. To deny that is to deny the gospels. To deny that is to deny that God the Father has the power and has the authority and is sovereign to do whatever it is that, that God wants to do. When somebody denies the virgin birth, and, and by the way, this is a very popular thing to do among people who call themselves Christians. When someone denies the virgin birth, they are saying one of two things. They're either saying God is not powerful enough to cause the virgin birth, God just doesn't have the ability to do it, or they're saying that God's word is not reliable enough for me to believe that he did it. Either God can't do it, or God's word is not reliable when it tells me that he did do it. Now, you can hold one or both of those beliefs, but you cannot do that without jettisoning the entire Christian faith. If you believe that God could not do the virgin birth, then God just cannot be God. If God is not powerful enough, if God is not sovereign enough to uh, bypass the normal laws of nature and cause a virgin birth, then he is not God. And if God is not strong enough, if God is not powerful enough to do that, then God is also not strong enough and powerful enough to save us from our sins. If God is so weak that the virgin birth is impossible, then the forgiveness of our sins, God is too weak to do that. And so if you deny the virgin birth because of the lack of God's power, then the whole Christian faith comes unraveled. If you deny the virgin birth because you don't believe God's word is reliable when it reports the virgin birth, then then the Christian faith comes unraveled as well. Because if the word of God is not reliable when it says how Jesus was born, how can we trust that it is reliable when it says how Jesus died? If it's wrong when it says and talks about the importance of his birth, then it's wrong. We can have no confidence when it talks about the value of Jesus' death. And I can have no assurance that my sins have been covered uh, by the shed blood of Christ. If you deny the virgin birth, uh, you, you, you forfeit, you, you unravel 
the whole Christian faith. And so to those who claim to be Christians yet deny the virgin birth, I would say uh, with Jesus, repent and believe. Because you cannot deny the virgin birth and, and be a genuine, authentic Christian. It, it was about 100 years ago that there was a group of Christians who called themselves uh, the fundamentalist. You ever heard that word? And there are probably some good things and some bad things we could say about that group of Christians. But one of the things they did is they came up with a list of five uh, tenets of the faith, five fundamentals, they called them. And they said, these are the things, if you, if you boil the whole faith down to just five things, a person must believe these five things in order to be a Christian. Or at the very least, a person must not deny these five things, or he cannot be a true believer. What are those five things? Uh, the deity of Christ, you have to believe in the deity of Christ, the inerrancy of scripture, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, Number four, the bodily resurrection and the physical return of Jesus and the virgin birth. And I think that's a pretty good list. What are the fundamentals of the faith? The virgin birth is one of those. We must believe this because the Bible says it's true. In the early church, they would often have people who were being baptized recite a creed. And they used creeds for a number of things, but one of the purposes was to catechize the people, to help them, especially as young people, to, to wrap their arms around the faith, to know what it is that they believed. And so when they would be baptized, they would say these creeds. And these creeds represented the very basics of the faith. And one of those creeds that the early, the very early church used was the Apostles' Creed. And let me just read the first part of that to you. This this for the early church, this was the, the foundation of the faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son and our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again. And so this very basic uh, essential description of what Christians believe right in the middle of it, the virgin birth. You see, the virgin birth is important simply because it's in the Bible. We must not deny the virgin birth. And for those who do, they cannot with any intellectual honesty embrace any part of the Christian faith because they're either denying the power of God or they're denying the veracity and the dependability of God's word. Now, the second reason the virgin birth is important is it makes possible the impossible, that Jesus Christ is fully divine and that he is fully human. You know, it is an amazing but difficult to understand truth that is taught throughout the pages of Scripture, especially the New Testament, that Jesus is fully human and that Jesus is fully divine. He's not half human, half divine. He's not a demigod. He's not quasi-divine. No, he's fully human, and he's, he's fully divine. Now, why is that important? Why is it important for us to understand and embrace this truth that God is, that Jesus is all person, all flesh, all human, but at the same time, 100% divine? Well, it's important because it makes him the perfect mediator. 
That's an important phrase. He is the perfect mediator. That means that he is the one who can connect us as sinners, as fleshly sinners, with the holy and the righteous God of heaven, the Father God. Jesus is the mediator. He is the go-between. He is able to extend a hand to us as a man, and he is able to extend a hand to God as God because Jesus is all man and Jesus is all God. We could not have a savior who was not all man and all God. If he were not man, he could not talk to us. He could not commune with us. If he were not God, he could not go before the Father. It is a miracle of, of, of such proportions that it cannot be exaggerated. What a wonderful thing that Jesus is all man and all God. Uh, he, is the, he is fluent with both of us. Uh, it doesn't exactly compare, but I was... I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago at Thanksgiving. Uh, it was eight years ago that we adopted our, our youngest daughter, Ray. In fact, it was about this time. We, I think yesterday was the anniversary of us, of us traveling to China uh, to, uh, to adopt her. But when we, we brought her into our family, uh, she knew no English and we knew no Mandarin. And so she would just jabber away. And we had no idea what she was saying. And we would talk, and I'm, she had no idea what we were saying. Uh, since then, my, uh, my oldest daughter has learned Mandarin, but, uh, but Ray's just the, the rapid speech uh, of her early days, it's, it, we, just, uh, we just didn't know what she was saying. But we recorded it. We have uh, videos of that. So at Thanksgiving, we had uh, some friends over from the community, and uh, there, was a, there was a lady who's a professor at SFA, and she is from China. Uh, that's, uh, that's where she was born, and she knows Mandarin. That's her native tongue, but she also knows English very well. She's, uh, like I said, a professor here at our university, and so she can speak almost without an accent. She knows English uh, better than most of us know English, probably. And so we pulled out those videos, and we, we let her listen to those, and she was able to listen to what Ray said in rapid-fire Mandarin, <laughs> And she was able to understand that and tell us in English what was being communicated eight years ago. It was amazing. I mean, we were so encouraged, excited about that. She was the perfect go-between. I mean, when Ray said that, Ray knew the Mandarin. And, and when we would talk to her, we knew the English, but there was no connection there. Now, what Jesus does is way more than just communicate. So I'm, I'm not lowering it down to that level, but this is a picture. Jesus knows the language of man and Jesus knows the language of God. Jesus can reach out to man because he is a man. And, and Jesus can reach out to God because he is God. The amazing miracle that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. Now, how did that happen? Well, God could have done this, I'm sure, in a number of different ways. We don't want to limit God. But God chose this incredibly beautiful and inc incredibly illustrative way. Jesus Christ had an earthly mother, just like all of us. Not a person here doesn't have a mother, right? Jesus had an earthly mother, and Jesus had a heavenly father. And somehow the Father in heaven brought those things together and Jesus was born fully God and fully man. It would have been possible 
we have to admit it would have been possible for God to have created Jesus without a father or a mother, without Mary. God could have created Jesus in heaven and, and, and he could have still been fully human and God could have just sent him to earth that way. But it would have been hard for us to understand how a person uh, with no father, no mother was really human. It would have been difficult for us to understand. So God, in, in, in his wisdom, in, in this beautiful situation, gave Jesus a mother. Now also, I suppose God could have caused Jesus to have a mother and a father. And God could still have given him uh, a divine nature. Uh, I don't want to limit God in that way, say he couldn't have done it that way. But had he done it that way, it would have been hard for us to understand how this Jesus uh, was divine if he had a father and mother just like we do. But God uh, solved that by giving us this beautiful way of bringing Jesus into the world with a human mother and with a heavenly, with a heavenly father. Uh, why is the virgin birth important? Because it makes possible the impossible that Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man and we should celebrate that. And then number three, it is, it is important because it points to the inherited nature of sin and the sinlessness of Christ. You know, the Bible says that we all inherit sin. You know this if you have young children, you don't have to teach children to sin, right? They're born knowing how to sin. Some of them are better at it than others, but, but all kids are born knowing how to sin. You have to teach them to not sin, not teach them to sin, and that's because we are born with this inherited nature. Adam sinned and brought sin into the world, and now sin has been passed down from generation to generation. That's our nature. We're born into sin. Romans chapter 5 tells us as much. It says in verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all have sinned. I had a sin nature, and so I have sinned. We've been studying Romans chapter 6 just a few weeks ago that we are slaves to sin before, before we know Christ. We're born that way. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. That's who I am. Now, if Jesus would have been born of a mother and a father, of Mary and Joseph, then Jesus would have received the sin nature that you and I received. Because the Bible very plainly tells us that that this sin nature is passed from, from parent to child, parent to child. In fact, the illustrations in the Bible show that it is passed from father to child, from father to child. And so uh, God interrupts that whole thing by bringing Jesus into the world with a mother, but no father. <clears throat> Jesus didn't have a sin nature. Jesus had a holy nature. We read Luke 135 a moment ago. Let, let me read it again. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. I was born with a sin nature. You were born with a sin nature. Jesus, with no earthly father, was born with a, with a holy nature. Now, why is that important? Well, because not only is Jesus the perfect mediator, because he's all God, all man, now we see that he is the sufficient sacrifice. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. 
Jesus, because he has no sin, no sin nature, no active sin, no sin. When Jesus lived a sinless life and died on the cross, he paid the penalty for whose sin? Our sin. Had Jesus had a sin nature, had Jesus sinned in any way, when Jesus died on the cross, the wages of sin is death. When Jesus died on the cross, whose sin would he have paid for on the cross? He would have paid for his own sin. His sacrifice would not have been sufficient for us. But because he had no earthly father, because he had no sinful nature, because he lived a perfect life, his sacrifice is sufficient for us. See, the fact that he's a perfect mediator, thank the Lord for that. And then the fact that he is a sufficient sacrifice, thank the Lord for that. Uh, if I owed the IRS $1,000 and uh, Andre owed the IRS $1,000 and I'm stressed about it and Andre is stressed about it and I say, Andre, don't worry, I'm going to send him a check today. And so I send him a check for $1,000 and I write on that check that this is for my debt and it is for Andre Simone's debt. Now, how's that going to play at the IRS? They're going to apply it to my debt. You're going to jail, okay? <laughs> and you can say, listen, no, the pastor sent a check for $1,000. That's what I owed. And they would say, no, well, listen, the pastor owed $1,000 too. And so we applied it to his debt, not your debt. You still are in debt. Had Jesus had an earthly father, Jesus would have had a sinful nature. Jesus would have died for his own sins. And we would still owe for the sins that we've, we have committed. Uh, it is important, the virgin birth, the virgin conception important because uh, it points to the fact that he inherited no sin and he lived a sinless life. And then finally, it is important because it demonstrates that salvation uh, is not by human effort or human worthiness. Just very quickly, human effort, the conception uh, was not by the agency of, uh, of Mary and Joseph. And if you don't know what that means, I thought about this this morning. I know we have a lot of children here. So if you don't know what that means, don't know what it means to be a virgin, then just wait till Christmas, ask your grandparents. They'll explain it then and, 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 and you won't have any more questions. So uh, Jesus uh, was not conceived by the agency of Mary or Joseph. Uh, this was all the work of God. And, and, and it's described theologically, it's described practically here in Matthew and Luke, but it's described theologically in Galatians. Listen to this. It says, when the time came to completion, so when, when it was time, when it was God's time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Our salvation came from the heart and the mind and the will of the Father. We should just be blown away by that. I'm not saved because... Because I reached out and I begged and pleaded and bargained with the God of heaven. But I am saved today. My sins are forgiven because God loved me so much that he reached down and found a way to save my soul and forgive my sins. Ladies, you tell me, is there a difference between these two things? Let's say that you want some flowers. And so you tell your husband, 
you want some flowers. You explain to him, all your friends get flowers. You show him pictures of all the flowers they've gotten in the last week or two. You tell him, you're the only woman at work that never gets flowers. That people talk about him. They talk about how sorry my husband is that he never sends me flowers. And let me tell you, husband, if I don't get flowers by the end of the week, we're going to have big problems. So Monday morning, you get flowers, all right? So uh, scenario number two, you go to work Monday morning, and out of the blue, there's a dozen roses. In fact, you're so surprised, you wonder if they're really from your husband. <laughs> but he is, he is just so in love with you that, that out of his own mind, I know this is, it would be an impossible miracle, but out of his own mind, he has, he has thought about how could he show you kindness and, and bless you with uh, with an expression of his love. Now, is there a difference between the two, ladies? Absolutely. Now, I'm not comparing what Jesus did to sending flowers. Uh, obviously, different categories completely. But I want you to know that Jesus' love for us, the Father, the, the, the love from God was not something that we bargained for. It was not something we begged for or pleaded. It wasn't something we worked out with him but it came from the very heart and mind of God. That's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves you. We, we, we heard somebody, heard Matthew Young preach on it two weeks ago when he talked about how God pursues us. We don't pursue him, he pursues us. Isn't that amazing? And, and when we see that, that, that even the, the coming of Jesus was not something, even the conception that man did, but it was from the very heart of God. It reminds us of that. And, and then the worthiness. You know, there was nothing particularly deserving about Mary. She didn't conceive because she somehow deserved it. Uh, there were great things you could say about Mary. She apparently was a woman of great faith and dedication, but that would have been true uh, for countless Jewish girls in that day. She really had nothing uh, special to offer. But the fact that Mary was chosen to bear God's son is a reminder that our salvation is not about human accomplishment, but it's about God's grace and mercy in our lives. I am saved not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because of the miracle love of God poured in my life. Is the virgin birth important? Absolutely. I don't believe you can call yourself a Christian and deny the virgin birth. It is important because it reminds us that God is fully man and fully God, that Jesus, fully man and fully God, is important because it reminds us that he was sinless, no sin nature, and his, his sacrifice was sufficient. And it is wonderful because it reminds us that our salvation comes from the Lord. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed. Here's my challenge. Let's let this Christmas be a celebration, church. Let us marvel at how wonderful God has been to us. We see it in so many ways, even in the virgin conception. What a reminder of how much God loves us. And then challenge number two, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to see that God has orchestrated heaven and earth to bring forgiveness to you in ways that are unexplainable, in ways that are so fantastic and so wonderful, that's how much God loves you. 
if you'd respond to him, if you'd surrender, if you would if you would trust in what Christ has done for you, lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death, he took your place on the cross. And surrender to him, the Bible says he would save you. Nothing delights the Lord more than when we surrender to him and are adopted into his family. Father, may you have, uh, may you be honored in our Christmas celebrations and may you be honored in the surrender of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing and respond.